through your son, Jesus. Um, again, we just thank you for all that you do, and it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we see um, Jesus being asked a question by a Pharisee uh, lawyer. Um, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit. You'll see a little bit pre um, verse 37. Um, but what I hope tonight is that um, what we can see through Jesus and how he answered the question is really some insight into how we are to love God and how we are to love each other. Not just us here in the church, you know, the people that we saw in the photos, um, but our neighbors as well. Not just our literal neighbors, um, but everybody that God puts into our path. Because uh, nobody you meet is by accident. You never know what opportunities uh, you're going to have. Um, before we get really into the text, I kind of want to set the stage uh, just a little bit. Um, like I said, our passage tonight comes from Matthew 22, but if we go back uh, to Matthew 21, we see the triumphal, uh, triumphant entry, right? Jesus coming into Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna. People have been following him around um, through his ministry, and they're laying palm branches at his feet. Um, he then enters the courts, and we, we saw it a, a couple weeks ago when Mikey came and flipped some chairs and tables, right? He overturned the tables uh, because he turned his father's house of prayer was being turned uh, into a den of robbers. Um, then when he was at the temple, the blind and lame came to him and were healed. And when the chief priests and teachers of the law, um, also known as the Pharisees, saw what he was doing, they became indignant. They were upset. They questioned his authority. They literally asked him, Whoa, by what authority are you doing this? By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? If it were me, I would have been like, oh, you really want to know? What Jesus did, though, is he asked a question. He said, I will also ask you a question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? Now, the John that Jesus is referring to here is John the Baptist. It's somebody that the Pharisees and religious leaders of that day had heard, but not believed. So they get together, um, and they're like, okay, well, let's talk about it here. They discussed it among themselves, and they said, well, if we say from heaven, he's going to ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So what do they do? What would you do in their situation? What would they say? They said, I don't know. We don't know. So then, to kind of explain further, Jesus told two parables. There's the parable of the two sons, where Jesus told the Pharisees that prostitutes and tax collectors would be entering the kingdom of God ahead of them because they heard John and repented. But the Pharisees heard John and did nothing. They didn't believe. He also then told the parable of the tenants, where Jesus says that the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from them and given to a people who will produce its fruit. I mean, the Pharisees and chief priests are really being exposed here, and they don't like it. So they're actually looking for a way to arrest Jesus, but can't. So if you want to turn your Bibles with me to Matthew, uh, sorry, verse 15 of Matthew chapter 22, they try to ta trap Jesus in his words by asking about paying the imperial tax to Caesar, right? We see that uh, in chapter, or verse 15 of chapter 22. So they're like, well, if we're paying imperial tax, 
you know, what do we do? And Jesus then replies, bring me the coin. What coin are we paying with? And it says it has Caesar's name on it. So then he says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. I don't know if you guys took a bill out. I don't even know if it's still, I don't really carry cash on me, but it used to say in God we trust. So that's why we have to give our tithes, right? Because it has God's name on the bill. No, that's, that's not why we give our tithes. Uh, we give our tithes because it's what we're commanded to do, and it's the least that we can do with what Jesus uh, and God have given to us. Um, but we read in verse 22 uh, of Matthew that when they heard this, they were amazed, right? Jesus is not taking the bait. So they left him and went away, and that was the end of it, right? Nope. Um, Pastor Joe talks about uh, Bong. Well, I'm going to talk about Bob. Uh, it was almost, uh, it was kind of like Bob, and after Bob got married, <clears throat> he shows his wife a study which indicates that on average, men use 15,000 words a day, whereas women use 30,000. Bob's wife uh, thinks about this and then tells her husband that women use twice as many words as men because they have to repeat everything they say. Bob then looks up from his paper and says, what? So just like Bob wasn't listening, the Pharisees weren't listening. They come back together in verse 34 and test him yet again. Now, a couple of commentaries I read um, said that it could not have been a test. It could have been a genuine question. But the way that uh, Matthew writes this, it's very clear that they were testing Jesus, trying to entrap him, um, which is really the start of our anchor text. They ask him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, the commandment in the law that the Pharisee lawyer is referring to could have been one of the Ten Commandments, um, potentially, but the lawyer is actually referring to the one of, guess how many laws? Does anybody know? 613 laws that made up the Jewish mitzvot or uh, in the Torah, but this is also known, uh, known as the law of Moses. Now, what the Pharisees were trying to do here is they were trying to paint Jesus as just a man with a huge ego trying to establish himself as the Messiah because, remember, they didn't really think that he was. So, if he was as false as they thought he was, he was going to say something that superseded the law of Moses, something that came out of his mouth to try and lift himself up. And then they would have had all the authority they needed to arrest him. But what did Jesus say instead? No hesitation, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Guess who Jesus quoted here? Moses. Right? It was from Deuteronomy 6.5. This is also the opening of the Jewish Shema, which Pharisees would have been very familiar with because they had to recite it two times a day. So he didn't say something that was from his own mouth. He went to what they knew. He quoted Moses. He wasn't there to supersede the law of Moses. He even says so in the Sermon of the, on the Mount, which you can find in Matthew 5.17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the love Jesus is talking about here isn't the phileo, which is the love of, of emotion or affection. No, this is the agapao, 
right? We have heard it uh, referred to as agape. This is the highest kind of love. It's self-sacrificing. It's the love of purpose, the love of will, the love of action. Now, when Jesus says heart, soul, mind, he really means all of who we are as people, as humans. Those three things make up our entire being. So we should love the Lord with our entire selves. Now, you'll also notice that these things aren't just pushed together, right? They're spread apart. It's not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Right? He says love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's as if the Lord wants to push them to as wide a possible level that he can, that he can. It's not anything that we can do. God wants to push those levels as far as he can. So then there's something I think that we can learn from looking just a little closer at our heart and our soul and our mind. We see in Proverbs 4.23 that it says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Our hearts are at the core of our identities. The, the Jewish people of that day would have, have understood that when he was referring to heart, he was really referring to who they were. Right? Our, our identities comes out of our heart, and it guides our thoughts. If we look at Luke 6, 45, we read that a good man <clears throat> brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Some of the translations may say, for, the, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We see here that the heart guides what we say, but also our actions. Our heart, also, our, our heart also shows what's truly important to us. Like we read in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our treasure is to be found in the Lord. As believers, our hearts are to be turning more and more to the Lord each day. It's not enough to just say, I accept you, Jesus, and then go about your merry way. What about our souls, right? We talked about the heart, but what about our souls? One commentary that I read said that soul here uh, in this passage could just be referring uh, closer to emotion and meaning, right? So your soul, your emotions. So if we take soul as emotion here, we know that the Bible calls us to not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So if we focus on the Lord, he's taking care of our hearts, our soul, and our minds. We shouldn't give in to our emotion, right? That's easier said than done. We had a, um, a combined young adults and youth event here on Thursday where um, we ate pizza and then shot Nerf guns at each other. And uh, I hope, I'm sorry uh, if you find any spare uh, stray Nerf bullets. If you do, just return them. Uh, we may use them tomorrow. Um, it was really hard to not give into emotion. I'm a pretty competitive person. Um, and I did have a couple times where my wife so eloquently reminded me that I'm the youth leader and I shouldn't be angry at yelling at little kids. Um, right? So don't give in to your emotion, right? That's easier said than done. But what we should really do is give it over to God. And then he will give us peace. 
He will guard our hearts and our minds. There's nothing that we can do to guard our hearts, our minds. Our minds are what spur us on with energy, with that agapao, the love of purpose and the love of intention. God's not just looking for someone who can look good on the outside, you know, put on a mask, come to church on Sunday, and then take it off the minute that you step outside the building and then not put it back on until you get in the car to come to church on Sunday. God wants us to love him with our whole being. When he loved us, he really loved us, didn't he? He had to. He gave everything. He gave us everything he was and is and will be. He gave us his one and only son so that those of us that believe in him won't perish but spend eternity in heaven with him. And just as he loved us enough to give us his son, we should love him enough to give ourselves to others just like he did. That's why Jesus says here, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If we love God as he loves us, then with his overpouring of love for us, we will also love our neighbors as God loves them. Now, in the Levitical law, neighbor was understood as a fellow Israelite. When they were getting the, uh, the law from Moses, um, they, were, they were understanding that it meant just the people there from Israel. But at this point in history, neighbor has already been interpreted in Matthew 5, 43 and 44, which says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So the people of that time understood that the term neighbor could also include their enemies. So I want to ask you a question. How much do you love your enemies? Some of us may have heard or even said, love the sinner, hate the sin. But I want to remind you guys that it's not the sin that gets sent to hell. See, we can't just rest on the fact that God loves everyone, which he does. But some people who God loves dearly will still end up in hell because of the choice that they made to not accept the love of Christ. Some people will argue then that we serve uh, and live for a God that damns people to hell. I've had that argument, right? If God is love, then why do people still go to hell? But as we read in Peter or 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants everyone to come to repentance and, in, and is patient with those that he has chosen to have not yet accepted, that have not yet accepted. And since God is patient, is patient, we as Christians are good, right? God's got this. We can just love our neighbors from afar, not get too involved, say hello, be polite, turn the porch light off after you get in the house. Don't cause any trouble and we're good. 
What's the third part of what we stand for here at FICF? Right, it's to know Christ, to become like him, and to, to make him known. We didn't just come up, that, come up with that on our own. Right? It wasn't something like, oh, this sounds cool. Let's make this our mission statement. We got that directly from the Bible. We are called in the Bible to go. God's love and our love for God should give us the energy to want to, want to go. Picture like one of those cars that you would get in a Happy Meal when you were younger. Anybody remember those? Okay, I got one like two weeks ago in a Happy Meal that I had for lunch. But you know the kind I'm talking about, right? It's the ones where you pull back and you hear it like click, 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 click. And then if you let it go, it just zooms off, right? That's kind of us, right? When we're being pulled back, we're being filled with the love of the Lord. We're being filled with all of his knowledge that he wants to give us, the words that he has to say. And if we just keep getting pulled back, eventually we're going to get wound up too tight and break. We're not going to go anywhere. If we just rely on the fact that God is filling us, God's the one putting everything in motion, then we're not going to go anywhere. We have to let go of who we were and move. We have to go and we have to do that because of the love that God has for us. That truth should make us want to go because even though we see here in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is slow in keeping his promise and is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, what we see in the second part of that is the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. We don't know when the Lord is coming back, right? I hope it's soon. Not even Jesus knows, right? It says only the Father knows the day. That's why Jesus came to give his irresistible grace for the world. That's why we are called to make disciples of all nations, not just the ones we want to. You know, we can't be like Jonah and just because God wants to save Nineveh and we don't like them, try to run away, right? He tried to justify all of his actions. Well, if I have the money, I'll go. If I don't have the money, I won't go. Oh, shoot, right? Every choice he made was trying to run away from what God's will was for his life. I'm here to tell you, we can't run away from that forever. Eventually, Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. And eventually, God's will was still accomplished through Jonah. Paul gives us a good blueprint on what us going and how we should go. Um, in his second letter, he writes to Timothy, where he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them, excuse me, to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. See, here where he says everyone, that means everyone. 
not everyone except that one person that you don't get along with, or everyone except that coworker who ate your lunch the other day, or you know, everyone except for that person who cut you off in traffic, or not everyone but that, that one person at church. Just kidding. Um, you know, maybe somebody has gotten something that you wanted, but that doesn't mean that, that we get to just choose not to talk to them. God, again, like I said, puts people in our lives for a reason. We see that here in a quote from John MacArthur that says, love's question is never who to love because we are to love everyone, but only how to love most helpfully. We are not to love merely in terms of feeling, but in terms of service. God's love embraces the entire world. See that in John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He also loved each of us while we were still sinners and his enemies. See that in Romans 5, 8-10. Those who refuse to trust in God are his enemies but he is not theirs. In the same way, we are not to be enemies of those who may be enemies to us. From their, from their perspective, we're the enemies. But from our perspective, they should be our neighbors. Here again, we see the love Jesus was referring to when answering the Pharisee was not only a love of feeling, but of service. Now, I know it might seem difficult, but... God has already given us, us of those that have accepted him as our Lord, the help we need. He's given us the Holy Spirit. That's not something that the disciples that were following him up until now had the privilege of having. They only had that after he ascended into heaven. You guys want to know how close the Holy Spirit is to you? He lives inside you. He's closer than the air that's touching your skin right now. He's the one that gives us that power. <clears throat> it's not anything that we as humans can do on our own. We have to rely on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one of the is I think probably the most forgotten part of the Trinity because it's very hard to comprehend and understand. But all you got to know is that that little voice inside of you is not such a little voice. It's a very large and loud voice. It's the Holy Spirit. We are to go because he first came to the world. And we are to love our enemies because while we were still sinners and while we were still his enemies, he loved us. Jesus' commands for the Pharisee are the same ones for us today. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but sometimes when I'm talking with people, they say that our, our Bible, this book here, is, is a book of faith and not a book of fact. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's both. Right? Everything that is recorded in this book is 100% true. Everything happened. And we can take that as true because our God is who he says he is. If we don't believe this book is true, then what are we even doing here? 
we need to have that confidence. We need to have that love for God to be able to go and tell <clears throat> anyone and everyone who our God is. So, we see in Mark, though, that not only are we to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, Mark even adds the word strength to his recount. So church, love God with all that you have, with every last bit of who you are, and his second command to us to love your neighbor as yourself. Man, some people are so hard to love, right? <laughs> now, if we realize that we used to be those people, and sometimes we still are, because even though we are covered by his grace, we are still imperfect people. The fact that we still sin is something that we have in common with the world. But what we may not have in common with the world is the fact that they don't have Jesus. They don't have the Holy Spirit, but we do. It's not something that we should hold on to, right? We don't want sin to just be prevalent so that grace can keep coming and covering it up, right? We want to be able to help people receive that grace through Jesus and through the love of God. Jesus came for us and for the world. And his love should pour out of us <clears throat> to our neighbors. Yes, even that one. And that's our message for tonight. <clears throat> Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, thank you. Thank you for the love that you demonstrated by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. Thank you for the perfect life that he led so that we could have eternal life with you. Just thank you for the message tonight. Thank you for speaking through me. We just ask that we remember that we are called to action, that the love that you spoke about is not a love of um, passiveness. It's not a love where we can just sit back and watch you do the work but it's a love that should spurn us on to action, to go and to tell people that don't know you about the love that we have because of you. Just thank you for all that you do and for all that you are. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.